Once upon a time, there were some magic beans. And they dreamed of saving a young girl's life. If only someone had believed in them. Aww. satire scare stravaganza i'm your dungeon manager jameson mokel here with my ghoulish co-hosts it's me jack the town whack job here to spread fear and rumors and it's chelsea the local werewolf Ooh, that's terrifying <laughs> You know, it's not like they show it in the movies. Every time you transition, it's incredibly painful. Oh, it looks like it would hurt like hell. I believe it, but I feel better knowing that the rumors I've been spreading aren't lies like I thought they were. <laughs> They're not bullshit either. It's true. I've been telling people about a werewolf. I didn't know there was one. <laughs> Just so you know, if, if you want... To get in on this sweet gig, I can bite you a little bit. Mm. You can join. I don't know. I'm more of a Dracula um, wannabe myself. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Actually, me too. <laughs> I'll be a hag. Do you think that if you contract Draculaism <laughs> and you bite me, you'll cure me and I'll become a sweet Dracula too? Not if Skyrim is to be believed. Ooh. Wait, I thought that was the Skyrim logic. No, I'm pretty sure in Skyrim, if you have if you have uh, Draculaism or lycanthropy, then you can't have they're they're mutually exclusive. I'm a big fan of the theory that you would become a Varkalak if you were bitten by both. Oh. I can see that. Yeah. Well, just in case any of our listeners don't know, this is the fantasy podcast where we turn low spooky horror into high spooky fantasy art that too i had i just got chills and this week we've got 2005's the brothers Grimm, starring heath ledger and matt damon as the titular brothers Grimm, jacob and wilhelm but i don't know if it's in that order and directed by terry gilliam uh, oh, so it's going to be an awesome uh, fantasy romp full of hijinks and hilarity, right? I guess that's one way to see it. Okay, that's fair. So, I guess it's time for to get into our summary here. Is it a spooky summary? It's a satirical summary. Close enough. <laughs> there are some spooky facts included. <laughs> like the fact that this is a Weinstein film? Basically. The nightmares can't be measured. So the Brothers Grimm is a story set in French-occupied Germany in the early 19th century. This is a story about the adventures and mishaps of the titular brothers as they scam their way across Europe. I thought it was about magic beans. It starts that way, and it gets so much more convoluted from there. You wish it was about the beans. <laughs> I really do. Yes. Like true adventurers... The brothers enact their will upon others <laughs> through guile and outright violence as they bumble their way through social encounters, investigations, and skirmishes with the supernatural. What's their body count in this movie? 
I lost track. Did did Matt Damon kill more people or less people in the Bourne movies? You know, what I mean? in one of them he was intentionally lethal, and then there's this one where he was very unintentionally lethal. Mainly through negligence mm-hmm. and ignorance. So the brothers Will and Jake are con artists. Uh, who trick the people of various towns that there are witches or demons plaguing them so that they may swoop in and rescue the good folk and the gold from their purses. Wink. Ha. In this film, Jake, played by Heath Ledger, is portrayed as the one who holds all the supernatural knowledge, which Will, played by Matt Damon, exploits to rob people of their coin. I mean, Jake doesn't exactly, like, do much to discourage this, uh, humbuggery and subterfuge, I believe, uh, is the, the case that they're, um, accused of. Yeah. He does seem a little guilty about it because he blabs about it when he gets drunk one time, but he's just... He's kind of portrayed as weak-willed, and he'll do whatever his brother Will says. It's true. And Will doesn't stop his drunken ranting in the bar until Jake starts talking about how lucrative the business is. And then he just holds, like, a childhood foible against him. How do we know that those beans weren't magical to begin with? We don't. No one believed in them. Especially since there's actual magic in the movie, which I will get to in a moment. So they are eventually arrested for their crimes. Humbuggery and, and subterfuge. Exactly. And they're coerced into investigating the disappearance of ten girls from the small German town of Mar- Marbaden. Marburg. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> God bless you. <laughs> so once they are in this small town, the brothers exploit the grief of a young woman named Angelica and force her to lead them through the surrounding woods where the missing girls were last seen. Angelica, played by Game of Thrones alumni Lena Headey. Exactly. She leads them to a tower in the heart of the forest and explains that it was constructed 500 years prior so that a self-absorbed queen could escape the plague. Do I smell a class struggle coming? It's riding in. I smell it on the wind. It's even another plague. Oh. <laughs> Did we do this on purpose? Maybe. No. I know. <laughs> full disclosure. No. <laughs> That's almost as good as R. <laughs> Fuck. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. My beloved catchphrase, R fuck, that the <laughs> listeners know oh so well. Yes, that's pirate speak for, ah, fuck. <laughs> so the brothers somehow piece together that the queen is an immortal witch who is using her zombie werewolf huntsman to kidnap and drain the girls of their precious red liquid. <laughs> all so that she can drink it and regain her youthful beauty. The- I mean, it kind of worked. If this movie proves anything, it's that consuming the blood of the innocent might actually have a regenerative effect. And this effect. was the case of the actual magic being used in the movie. It was actually like a ritual spell that the huntsman was helping her enact that was re- actually returning her to her youth because she was immortal but without everlasting youth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess Jacob was right the whole time, huh? Yeah. Exactly. So those sense. beans could have been magical. Yep. And Will's just a dick, and it's probably his fault their sister died. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Okay, so the brothers eventually defeat this evil corpse queen. By breaking her favorite mirror. And they somehow both get the girl, even though they treated Angelica as an ignorant yokel who couldn't be trusted the entire movie. I have a lot of questions about uh, ni- or about 1800s German uh, sexual mores, thanks to this movie. I know. It, I wasn't quite clear on that point. It seemed more like wish, Weinstein wish fulfillment. Because there are two brothers and she's going for both of them. Yeah, it's a little overly incestuous. Uh, The polyamory part, that would be totally fine. Yeah, sure. 
I mean, no shade on but, that. But it's not portrayed with any kind of sensitivity or no. tact or really logic to speak of. But it's more like Stockholm Syndrome in the movie. I guess we'll talk to that talk about that when we get to the gore of the podcast. So, I just want to know more about Yokel myself. <laughs> So with a 38% freshness rating on Rotten Tomatoes, mm, this delicious. film was Terry Gilliam's attempt to include as many fairy tale references as possible in this convoluted, frantically paced story. I think crammed in is an appropriate way to describe it. With about as much tact as the writing had. Yeah, pretty much. Especially towards the end when they were trying to fit every little ounce of an Easter egg to old folk tales as they could. Was this the beginning of the Brothers Grimm cinematic universe? Oh boy, I hope not. They wished it was. Is this the prequel to Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters? You know, I could see that. <laughs> I could be convinced. I feel the way they threw in the fairy tales was very much they had a storyboard and they had a fairy tale on a dart and they just threw it at the board and saw where it landed. Uh, Little Red Riding Hood. Got it. Uh, right in there. Hansel and Gretel were in this movie, so... Yeah, they were. Yeah. It could be part of the whole... Did did one of them get magical candy diabetes? That's was, the real question. It's part of the HGCU. Hansel and Gretel Cinematic Universe. Hey, now I'm you. immersed. Yeah, not bad. But I digress. Now that we've completed the spooky summary, it's time for us to get to the gore of the podcast. Where we break down the themes and the allegories and the making of the movie. And we give it a rousing critique. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Terrifying. So, guys, <laughs> let's talk about class struggle. <laughs> Here we've got two swindling brothers going around the countryside, taking advantage of towns, poor towns. Yes. Using their, uh, you know, this this elaborate scheme they have. They they even have, uh, you know, like some some backup guys doing their their dirty work with them. They they treat all these townspeople like a bunch of rubes. Well, yeah, they are using local folklore against the people that might believe in it or might be scared into believing it. <laughs> right. But then we've got this powerful monarch, see? And she controls the land. She's feared by all the people. She creates this uh, un unapproachable tower to sequester herself away while she uh, plays with the lives of the innocent and literally begins to drain their blood to give herself back youth and power. She's kind of like a lich. Yeah. Yeah. Or a vampire, kind of like a mixture between the two. A lichpire. You know, I'm <laughs> worried this film inspired Elizabeth Bathory back when she was around. Oh yeah, that, that that's probably that makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a strange mixture of many different fables and folklore. Yeah. Yeah. Now, but just the searing critique of monarchy and uh, and hierarchical power structures really stood out to me in this. I mean, you know, you've got the ineffectual military leaders of, uh, you know, the, the French uh, occupation of Germany, um, you know, and, and you've got these... these. Uh, it's true. All the general, the French general who sends the, the brothers on this mission, all he cares about... De la tombe. De la tombe. Uh, all he cares about really is his status maintaining his prestige and his social standing and having parties with the creme de la creme. Yeah. And there's also a moment where Jacob kind of dresses down his brother, accusing him of only caring, only caring about money, whereas Jacob has more of a spiritual inclination. He's more interested in... He's pursuing knowledge. He's pursuing knowledge. I think he has kind of an appreciation for the arts. He wants to be kind his heroic. brother's heroic it's yeah it's true he um he's a romantic yeah he uh, does talk to angelica about being an artist and she's an artist as well yeah he's interested in her art meanwhile jacob is kind of the ruthless capitalist only concerned with getting the next payout he can get and sleeping around with women if you didn't notice no i don't know somehow that seemed invisible to me i don't know <laughs> 
Well, I think it was subtly nodded to when he had a three-way early on in the movie. <laughs> oh, that's yes. what... I was trying to uh, figure out what the greater significance of the three-way was. I'm glad that you pointed that I out. I think it me. was to show that he fucks. <laughs> oh, that, that makes sense. It's just a theme I picked up on. No, meanwhile, there's also Cavaldi, the uh, military, I guess, torturer slash hitman? He's an Italian torturer that's subcontracted out by the French military. See, hierarchy. A circus knife thrower turned professional torturer. He was a good uh, knife thrower. He had a coat full of knives. It was interesting to see Peter Stormare in a role where he ends up being kind of sympathetic in the end. Yeah, weirdly. Yeah. He, he ends he's up... He's the antagonist. He, he's initially the antagonist, but he's, he's just a mercenary. He's in it for whoever's willing to pay him the most. But when he starts to see this more supernatural uh, turn of events... Start, you know, you can kind of start to see his resolve cracking a little bit. He starts to be a little bit more concerned with his own safety and then maybe the safety of the people around him. He actually does try to help save one of the girls that are getting kidnapped. Yeah. yeah and um, later on in the film, he refuses to shoot the brothers when the French general orders him to. Yeah. And this plays into the theme of redemption that's kind of seen throughout the whole movie. Yes. Because... Jacob is constantly harassing his brother about these magic beings. He's constantly blaming his brother for the it's death the of their... It's the other way around. Will. I'm sorry. Will yeah. is constantly blaming Jacob for the death of their sister, which is a horrible thing to do. I mean, to be, to be constantly berated by your sibling in such a, a nasty was, way. I mean, that's the worst possible thing. And this was set up by a scene in the beginning of the movie where... It shows a young Jacob running home with something in his hands. They seem to be living in poor conditions. They can't afford firewood, so they're breaking up furniture it's in the winter. Their sister is sick, and Jake comes home with magic beans, and his brother Will beats him up yep. in front of their mother, who does nothing to stop it. And you know what? This mother is the most irresponsible woman in the whole movie. She didn't go out on her own to find whatever doctor or cure. They they entrust the youngest child with money and expect him to, you know, not be swindled by somebody else. And, you know, it kind of begins this chain of events where Jacob getting swindled leads to this uh, perpetual cycle. Now Jacob and Wilhelm are trying to swindle other people. Using yeah. supernaturality. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Jacob kind of embodies the hopeless romantic who is kind of sensitive and emotional and knows a lot about folklore and is more of a scholarly type. Mm -hmm. And Sweet Wilhelm, nerd. or Will, <laughs> yeah, Will is portrayed as a pragmatist who is logical and is somebody is kind of like an engineer he creates different types of technology that they use in their scams right to scare people and tr cheat them out of their money he's a ruthless capitalist only concerned with you know innovation with no concern for the good of the a larger group of people only concerned with making profit for himself it's true he built armor that was really shiny just to make people think it was enchanted. And it turns out it's actually good enough to stop a bullet later in the film. That was unexpected. I don't yeah. know if I like the, the messaging of that. That he can actually do something worthwhile? <laughs> no, that his swindling uh, inventions are actually a benefit. That these things he makes strictly for taking advantage of people actually work. Yeah, they do. At one point in the film, uh, Jake has been trying to use a catapult to get up into Rapunzel's tower, right? Because the evil queen, for the listeners out there, is some horrible homunculus between Rapunzel, Snow White, and, and a lich, right? Voldemort. The evil queen. Yeah, the evil queen. Or Maleficent? Yeah, that one. One of them. And uh, he can't make it up high enough using just the catapult, so they use this springing platform, which they've used a few times in the film. He Jake puts it on top of the catapult, so when he's flung up in the air, he's additionally flung a second time by this flippy board 
and uh, he makes it up there. So that's another time their tricks actually came in handy. Hmm, good point. Yeah, yeah. Multiple times throughout the film. Whether it's good or bad, it just works. So throughout the film, folklore and folk knowledge are portrayed as ignorant. Right. This is, uh, this is the realm of the rubes, as it were. Or something that you can't be trusted. It's untrustworthy. And logic and technology are portrayed as being superior and laudable. Except the military might. Except, like many of the messages of of the movie, it gets lost in the fact that the supernatural does exist and is able to exert great power over people's lives. It's true. So that messaging is kind of conflated with what you just brought up and this idea that friends and siblings should believe in one another. Uh, Because that's something that... Which is obviously bunk. (laughs) (laughs) That's something that Jake says to Will later in the movie. All he ever wanted was for his brother to believe in him. Right. Which is sad. Mm -hmm. And that's well after he's gone full Heath. Peak Ledger? (laughs) Peak Ledger. He mumbles his way through many lines as he flails his arms around. I, I, I usually love Heath Ledger, but there are times when... His acting style just <laughs> goes way too off the rails. And <laughs> Good thing he really muted it down for when he played the Joker a few years after this movie. <laughs> it's true. There were scenes in this film where he was just like, all right, I'll be a stressed out geeky guy. And he's just like, oh, oh my gosh, this is so, oh, no, it's, whoa, oh. <laughs> Does anybody and... want to know how I got these? Beans. Yes. Oh, now that's a crossover that I would watch. Jake is just, just so scary the entire film, and Will just never calls him on it because he's too afraid. Do I yeah. look like a folklorist who's got a plan? <laughs> I could tell right. this entire film that Jake was a gamer from the start. Oh boy. So yeah, what I've been trying to get at is that. <laughs> there was a theme in throughout the movie that kind of offsets belief versus logic and denigrates one and applauds the other. Hmm. And um, Angelica is another figure that is portrayed as untrustworthy, even though she holds all the knowledge, local knowledge about the local landscape and the local folklore and history, even. Oh, yeah, uh, she's got knowledge nature, knowledge local. Mm-hmm. And she says that she Knowledge was, art. Mm-hmm. She tells them at one point when they're trying, basically trying to diss her that uh, she was actually formerly trained in school. That's right, she but was educated. Because she's living in this town by herself, they still don't believe her or feel like any of her knowledge is valuable until they need it, and then they force her to help them. Yeah, I mean, I think in, in you know, uh, in one regard, Wilhelm would appreciate uh, her being a, a learned woman, but I think that there's, you know, obviously a, a sexist undertone of their disbelieving everything that she says. Oh my gosh, it was so prevalent. The fact that they thought she wasn't intelligent because she was a woman. There yeah. was a scene when they were in the woods by the Queen's Tower... And there are a few different entrances to this kind of courtyard that surrounds it. And they're like, okay, let's go back to town this way. And she's like, oh, no, it's that way. Because she's the one who has a great, you know, knowledge local, the layout of the woods. That's the entire reason they brought her along. And they're like, nah. Survival. She's hysterical. And then they won't do it. That's right. Yeah, and then she's like, no, guys, you're going to die if you go that way. It is that way. And they're like, nah, you're crazy, and they go that way. And then they, like, you know, silly shenanigans happen, and they're like, oh, she was right. And she's like, you guys can't trust the trees in these parts because they move around, and they've actually already seen that happen. But just the fact that she said it made them not believe it. Right. Yeah, it's it's just another of the many mixed messages that I've mentioned in this film. And, you know, they, they then just lean into it, like... Clearly, Angelica is the most actually capable member of this trio. 
She's got the experience. She's a warrior. She knows her way through the woods and all of this. And then she's just put in the victim role. She becomes the Sleeping Beauty character. This incredibly capable warrior woman is put under a magic spell and becomes one of the 12 maidens that the queen needs to uh, regenerate from. And they just, you know, they, they create this scenario where she becomes ineffectual after being yeah. capable. It was completely fabricated. She falls into a pond and then is suddenly incapacitated for no real discernible reason. Yeah, she falls like five feet into the water and she's suddenly unconscious. Her dad throws a magic ring into the pool, freezing it solid and enchanting her in the process. I guess that's true. Yes. Her dad, by the way, is the big bad wolf because he has a magic, like, stake in his heart with a cool ornament on it. Yeah, the the um, zombie werewolf huntsman we introduced in our summary is actually Angelica's father. Wait, is he a zombie who hunts werewolves? He's a zombie werewolf. Wait. Ah! That's actually kind of wild. They combine the Huntsman and the Big Bad Wolf into one character. Yeah. Also, he has the Leviathan Axe from God of War. I'm I know. Sure. We marked out pretty hard on the Leviathan Axe. Yeah. When he throws it, for those of you who don't understand, he throws his axe and then it whizzes back to his hand, which he actually is kind of thrown off balance every time he has to catch it. True. I mean, he's no Kratos. Yeah. Which do you think he spent a lot of his, uh, you know, younger life or his time with Angelica, the younger life, going on an adventure, going girl. Yes, I hope so. (laughs) Girl. Angelica. It should also be noted, two of her sisters are two of the people who have been taken as part of this ritual. Right. Which would have been an even better reason to have her get a chance to, you know, redeem her family by saving them herself. And, and her dad. All the girls that are being taken by this queen are part of what could be like a peasant class. Mm-hmm. They're all members of this small village being taken by this queen so that she can, you know, as queens do, suck their blood. Right. <laughs> That's, I mean, what the monarchy literally and figuratively does. Exactly. She's like, uh, who's going to notice a few missing peasants? Right. And then two uh, two hooligans show up to stop her, and she's like, what the hell is this? Right. And then they prank her to death. <laughs> yeah, they so, smash her poor mirror. Yeah. yeah, I know. Apparently, I called it her favorite mirror, but it was somehow connected to her, and it was the source of her illusion and power magic, but... I, I read about that. That was not clear from watching the movie. Nothing is clear from watching this movie. The magic is never explained well. There's not... I mean, I'm not saying that, like, magic always has to be given, like, good, reasonable explanations. But, like, at least give you the... Give the audience the connections between the parts. Yeah, the queen has no real backstory except for something that's glossed over. So you you don't get to see how she became came into her power, how she's connected to the mirror, you don't know. There's an interesting backstory to a ruling queen that they don't even go into. Sure. Uh, they could have done a lot more with it. Also, she drops a line that could have been really hype, but was just kind of slapped in there, like mentioned before. She says, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And I believe... Did you make that up? Uh, is that from something? And then I believe it was Will that says it It was her, or maybe it was the Huntsman. But either way, that line could have been so cool if it wasn't just, like, suddenly slapped in there. Yeah, they're just like, yeah. oh, you know, people are going to know this line. Let's use this. Right. And something else I wanted to talk about uh, as a segue to another topic is the actress who played Angelica, Lena Headey. Um, so... Gilliam wanted to get Samantha Morton for the lead female role of Angelica. And if for those of you who don't know her, Samantha Morton is an amazing actress with this kind of force of personality. She has this heavy presence and she has a great emotional range. She's kind of soft-spoken, but can deliver lines like a hammer 
She's she's the woman who plays Alpha uh, in the last season of The Walking Dead and the current tenth season of The Walking Dead. And she's soft-spoken, she can be sweet, and she can be scary as all hell. And she has this great inner strength to her, and that's who Terry Gilliam wanted in the role of Angelica. So you're saying it's but, a good thing that they didn't waste this amazing talent on this role of Angelica. Maybe, but um, might have been a better movie for it. But uh, the Weinstein brothers vetoed it because they wanted what they said called a, a more conventionally attractive actress. In oh the role. boy! And um, that's kind of a point of how shitty they are, but also. Uh, goes into another topic of adaptational attractiveness that I wanted to bring up. Aha! This and sounds like an interesting idea. You should tell us about it. It has to do with the uh, practice of using actors and actresses that are might be conventionally attractive, considered to be attractive in roles that, of things that are adapted from books to film or maybe historical figure actual historical figures in the film so that they will apparently be have a wider appeal with audiences isn't um, pocahontas a uh, typical example of this yeah she was like very much like adapted to western beauty standards in say the disney film right um so it's not only for notable figures or fictional characters that are adapted it's also for just any roles that people would get in general uh so that's something that i thought was interesting and kind of upsetting but uh it's also true for the brothers uh if you've ever seen uh image images or depictions of the uh Bro Grim Brothers. They were dapper gents. They were dapper, but... Uh, Maybe Matt, dour gents, too. Matt, yeah, Ooh. Matt Damon and Heath Ledger are definitely uh, more considered to be more attractive. I don't know. Go online and take a look at the Brothers Grimm. Hot. Uh, they both looked pretty ratty in this film, I felt, though. Oh. A little well, rat. Um, it's like that kind of tussled uh, roguishness, though. Yeah, really yeah, happens. it's there. So Gilliam actually wanted to get Johnny Depp for oh, the boy. role of Peak Will, uh, the, the character that was eventually played by Matt Damon. You know, I'll take Matt Damon. The Weinstein brothers didn't want Depp because they thought he wasn't famous enough, that he wouldn't bring enough um, star power to the film. Was this before... Pirates of the Caribbean? I was just going to say, Pirates of the Caribbean came out while they were making this movie. Huh. And uh, Damon so kind of joked around that they were kind of kick. They must have been kicking themselves because he, his popularity kind of exploded after that. Well, it sounds like Matt's got a good sense of humor, at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are probably wishing they got Johnny Depp doing this with his hands throughout the entire oh. film. A little bit of where's the why's the rum gone? Yeah, There's yeah. actually one point where they wanted to cast uh, Ledger opposite Depp, and that would have just been too much. <laughs> too, too much face acting for one movie. Oh my god! <laughs> no, it would have been so quirky. Yeah. More quirky than it already was. Like so fidgety. Both of the characters would have been fidgety. Johnny Depp would have had his hands raised up like he's casting a spell the whole time and Heath Ledger would have been like throwing them around like a nervous train wreck the whole time. There would just be too much like hands in the face of the camera. I know. And what is interesting, another interesting little tidbit is that um, Damon and Ledger were actually due to play each other's roles. Of course they were. Uh, <laughs> I could see Matt that. Matt Damon was supposed to play the bookish romantic Jacob, and Heath Ledger was supposed to play the kind of pragmatic braggart Will, and they both petitioned Gilliam to switch roles. Hmm. It ended up being a lot better, and it's not a great movie overall, but... 
it ended up being better. At least they were more suited to the roles they ended up in. Yes, this is a very low bar for a lot better. <laughs> really? I would have liked to see it the other way. If I definitely want to I definitely want to go to the alternate universe where they ended up in those roles and see how this movie would be different. Yeah. Yeah. We better get to work on that alternate dimension machine. Exactly. You're right. Hey, remember the vape life mirror in the Queen's chamber? Oh shit. It's just the mirror is just smoking for no reason. Is when, it? When they, uh, when they're, um, when Monica Belushi is casting her magic spell. That's pretty good. Oh, no. I'm just remembering every fairy tale reference they had in this movie. And how none, so little of them made sense. Little yeah. Red Riding Hood was in it for two seconds to become one of the women who was thrown into the ritual. Yep. Hansel and Gretel were there just so Gretel could get tossed in. There's that part where the one uh, young girl is running outside and I thought they were going to do like a Jack B. Nimble kind of thing. Where yeah. she jumped over a candlestick. Jack B. Thick. That's right. Yeah, I think that's how the story goes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, there was the raven that dropped like a pea into her mouth that made her take her first breath. The evil queen that mm-hmm. is and the queen was sleeping on a pile of mattresses like the um princess and the pea yeah there you go and, and then, then there was the uh bird that shit on peter stormare like in the fairy tale willow yes that's right that that was a solid reference best reference in the whole film yep there were so many birds and so much shit in that scene. <laughs> we, yeah, when that amazing. happened, I, I said, I said, and uh, you can you can quote me on this. This is what I said. I said, Lucas produced this film. <laughs> George Lucas. When the birds shit on that man, I was like, there he is. Yep. There he is in spirit as a force ghost. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, I mean, I, I've said it now a few times, but there's so many poorly fleshed out themes in this movie but i think the final one that we really have to talk about that plays into the conclusion of the movie is the idea of like redemption and sacrifice they're building up to this moment where uh wilhelm is sacrificing himself to save the town to save his brother you know it's he's clearly he's stabbed by his brother in this kind of uh, this final moment, this kind of summing up of the whole thing where he's constantly haranguing his brother for, you know, in his opinion, being the, the reason that his sister, that their sister died. He takes the knife. Then it seems like, I guess he starts getting possessed by the queen, but you know, he's been stabbed in the heart by his brother, but he does it as a self-sacrifice kind of moment. And then at the end of the movie, he's just fine. So it completely throws out the possibility of having a greater message about, you know, finding redemption through some kind of, uh, you know, ultimate sacrifice of one's, you know, life in this case for the for those around you. Like giving one's life for your friends or family or for the good of people. And it's completely thrown out the window. Yeah, I didn't really understand that part because he was dying. Yeah. And then she puts some kind of magic spike that zombifies him and makes him immortal, basically. So it kind of prolongs his life through magical means. And we would think that that magic is tied to the queen. Exactly. So when she dies, how does he keep living? And later, in later scenes, he doesn't have the spike in him anymore. And he seems to be just fine, like you said. So I was... As we were watching it, I was very confused as to how he was walking around and, like, chilling with his brother. I, I highly suspect this is one of those Rambo situations where test audiences would have never let Matt Damon's character die. Maybe. Yeah. There was one part of that occurrence where, after the queen is dead, Jake goes and he kisses... Angelica. Angelica back to life with true love's kiss. And then he sees that Wilhelm is still, like, essentially dead on the ground. And Jake doesn't know what to do, so he goes in for the kiss. and right True before, love's kiss. Yeah, true love's kiss. Brotherly love. And so he goes in to kiss uh, Wilhelm, but Wilhelm whispers to, in his ear, not you. 
And uh, I did not. I did not care for this part. Yeah, and then Jake has Angelica kiss him, and then they make out a little bit, and it seemed like he was in perfect health anyway, and he didn't even need true love's kiss. Oh yeah. So something else that uh, we wanted to talk about was this issue of the two brothers being portrayed in the movie as the ones who knew all the folk folklore. Jacob was writing down all of these bits of uh, folk history and knowledge in a journal he was keeping, and um, it completely erases the real history that the actual Grimm brothers were gathering stories from women who, um, they were basically recording what was an oral tradition. Um, these certain women, usually uh, spinners who would work in communal spaces, would tell these stories that were what we know of now as like classic folk tales and folklore, fables, basically. Yeah, these guys are like some of the original social scientists. <laughs> mm. Yeah, they kind of were. Cool. Um, and so they cataloged all these stories, but a lot of them were changed uh, after they were recorded to kind of fit in with patriarchal views on women and women's roles in society. So many of the women were portrayed as being obsessed with their beauty at that point. And some of the original uh, lessons were kind of lost because a lot of these folk tales that were told um, were lessons for children, really. Yeah, they were moral lessons to uh, stay, uh, you know, stay the course, to straighten up and fly right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't go in the woods, ever. Never go in the woods. Never. My folklore always involves don't go into the ocean. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It'll reclaim us all one day. The brothers in the movie are portrayed as the experts, and they're exploiting people's belief in folklore, but it was women who would pass down this folkloric knowledge, and uh, they were always understood as stories that held some kind of wisdom about the world that could be... They were basically parables. Something this movie does not have, wisdom about the world. Mm-mm. Yeah. And um, so people who believe in folklore are kind of portrayed as ignorant, but people who, the women who perpetuated these stories were trying to teach valuable life lessons to children. They weren't trying to get them to believe in anything magical necessarily. Right, they weren't meant to be taken literally. Yeah, exactly. Um, So it kind of erases that history uh, by portraying them as the ones who almost came up with all of this. Yeah, or, or just not giving any like nod to where their stories are coming from. Exactly. It just seems like they're just being produced straight from um, Jacob's book. Right. Which is disappointing. There was a there Although was a decent movie in this, you know, somewhere, like buried yeah. deep the idea of the the seed for a decent movie. Yeah. It's just that, you know, when the you get bean, the Weinstein brothers in the mix it all goes to hell. It's true. Uh women are just like tools in this film it feels very not great yeah 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 and a lot of disturbing uh gender comments throughout the film that Mm. i won't go into right now if you have a strong stomach go ahead and watch the movie and pay close attention to the gender politics yeah at the very end when everyone is dancing and the town has been saved angelica kisses wilhelm and then jake looks sad and then she kisses jake and then both the brothers are like oh i like oh i thought you'd have gotten her by now and he's like oh the day's not over yet and it's like a little quirky competition when in reality oh dude she is so objectified by the end of this film gross yeah Yeah. well on that note i think we've beaten this dead horse as hard as we're gonna beat it so i think it's time for our rating
like you each to give me one interesting thing about the movie. It could be a good thing, a neutral thing, or an evil thing. And give it a rating in one to ten swords. Jack, would you like to go first? Sure. I suppose for this, I only have general thoughts are it it had a lot of potential for some shenanigans and it it ended up doing some things that were problematic enough for me to be a little shook if there was one thing i had to point out that i felt was pretty great in the film it was the torture chamber was very funny there were some pretty wacky torture devices like this pillar that had swirling blades and a a drill bit at the end that would be lowered into a bucket someone would be chained inside of and at some point they end up punting an adorable kitten into one of the torture machines and it's just blended to bits i fucking hated that and it made me turn against this movie even more than i already had cursed yeah. cursed uh, um i'm gonna have to give this movie uh i was thinking three or four so let's do three swords and a short sword probably a fitting rating for the film chelsea yeah. well okay let's see something interesting so i guess it's a good thing or just a neutral thing mm. um we all kind of noticed this, and uh, I'll just be the one to mention it. Uh, the end scene where they're fighting the evil queen kind of mirrors shot for shot the scene earlier in the movie where they're fighting a witch, quote-unquote, but it, they're actually staging that. But Right, so, it's actually the guy from Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. And, the, and the British office. So they're, that was actually kind of interesting how they kind of juxtapose that by mirroring the shots of the two scenes um i'm not sure what they were trying to say with that though so that's kind of maybe why it was a neutral thing <laughs> mm -hmm. um yeah i think i'm gonna give this movie three out of ten swords Pro that's the rating it deserves mm. what about you jamie you know, the most interesting thing I can say about this movie is the last note I wrote about it, which is, I have no fucking clue why anything is happening. <laughs> interesting. It's just a mess. I mean, from a guy like Terry Gilliam, who can make uh, a bizarre and almost, like, incomprehensible story, like brazil or the adventures of baron moonchausen into like something that you can follow and get something out of this has none of that this has none of the the charm or the lovability of a terry gilliam movie and i guess that that's my evil thing i'm gonna say is that this was the lesser product of a greater sire Ooh, saruman quote right there <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I, it, it, the only notable thing about this movie is how notably bad it is. Oh, right, and one other thing. I remember, because I saw this movie in the theater when it came out, I remember this was the first movie that I recall walking out of a theater and saying, I hated this. <laughs> <laughs> and time has not revised my feelings about that. Mm -mm. So I'm going to give this... Two swords and a short sword. Wow. It's a huge disappointment. Yes. I wanted to like it. I had a great time watching it with you guys. Of course. Me too. Yes. But it was hot, hot garbage. It's true. I actually liked it less the second time I watched it. I think that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> well, with that in mind, I think it's time for us to rewrite history. I think you're right. <laughs> where we take a movie that we just watched and either reboot it, create a sequel, or give it a, another once-over of some kind. So, what do we got on the docket today, guys? I have an idea. All right, I am ready to hear it. It's a sequel. Okay, I, I hate it by, on principle, but I'm <laughs> listening. Uh, I'm not sure who we would get to direct it, but Not Terry Gilliam, sadly. George Lucas. 
Definitely not produced by the Weinstein brothers, so already oh. an improvement. Already um, gonna give it like three more swords. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that we've got to follow Angelica. Ooh, when I she like gets it. A little yes. bit older. Okay. You know, um, she's in a thruple with the two brothers. Guys. <laughs> they have. But a loving thruple. Exactly. They actually work living together. She actually kind of helps uh, the two brothers mend their fences and um, build bridges between them. <laughs> Cope with loss. Yeah. And um, they learn to respect her more. I like it. Exactly. And uh, understand that she's an, an autonomous individual. Uh, and, uh, you know, they... Ooh, I know. They started an artist colony because um, mm. she and Jake mm -hmm. are both uh, visual artists. Right. Mm -hmm. And Will is like a mechanical artist. He loves right. to build things. And and clearly functional things, as we saw throughout yeah. the movie. And he's a good face, too. You know, he could be a good presentation artist. He's their entrepreneur. Yeah. So yeah, he's a con man. Yeah, that. So they have an artist commune in this small town. Okay. But it creates like a tourist destination for people. <laughs> oh no, I want to take a twist on that just so we keep the action adventure kind of yeah uh, angle. What if the suspicious local people actually now see these people see this this thruple as a threat? Right. And they have to defend themselves. And it could be a hijinks film, kind of like Home Alone in a medieval town. What if nice. the things, and this is, might take a bit of an Alan Wake twist to it. They take the stories that they've already written and the stories that they just acquired from the last film. And they start writing their own stories inspired by their own encounters. And they start actually affecting the supernatural world. With their writings, and maybe some sort oh. of beast or entity that they've written about starts plaguing the town, and that's why they're made villains, public villains, because their art is having a negative impact. I like it. Nice. Perhaps. I'd also like to write in, I want to kind of retcon the end of the movie a little bit. I want to right. explore right. the theme of Wilhelm's sacrifice not being a sacrifice, but maybe have him have some kind of... Um, associated trauma with, you know, he was stabbed in the heart. He was kept alive by foul, dark magics. I want to see some consequences to this. I want to see some mm. character growth. Oh, he was stabbed in the stake that makes you into, like, the werewolf sort of thing. Yeah. So, so it would be great if he had to deal with that. What if, like, every full moon he turns into this beast? So, of yes. course, during the one of the climactic battles of this new story... He's turning against them, and he they have to use their true love towards Wilhelm to pull him out of this beastly state. Yes, that could nice. be very cool. Yeah. It might also be neat. I don't know. It There's no grounds for this. But I think it would be cool if Wilhelm was able to speak to Angelica's father in some sort of spirit connection. Because they were both made into these zombie werewolves via the same magical artifact right so i think it would be great if there was like a place where you went when you transformed and he could kind of speak to the other people who have been cursed by the same I was object thinking of it the tower because the, oh, the top yes. of the tower collapses but the base is still there and they could have constructed a doorway with a metal gate that wilhelm could help construct and mm -hmm. so he constructs a way to keep himself locked up to keep everyone else safe very nice. Mm, nice nice callback to the original film and when he's there that's the site where the queen was using all of her magic so it makes sense that he might have visions of the other people that she was manipulating there and mm -hmm. using for her nefarious end right he's haunted by this yeah that's great also just a, a little something i might like to see in the next movie angelica has twice the muscle mass she's oh. just huge oh yeah that's Yoke. because She's fucking played by Samantha Morton in this next movie. Holy, is she oh, huge? Uh, she has this commanding presence, and she she is built. Yeah. Nice. And I just want to see Angelica just like wreck shit with the Leviathan axe. Just oh like yeah, Inher back. inheriting her father. Yes, and she was good weapon. with a bow too. Yeah. I think it might be pretty silly to see her throw an axe 
shoot an arrow out of the bow and then catch the axe. Yeah, and we're we're leaning in perfectly with like getting that God of War like inspiration that people are gonna see the axe ha- in the trailer using this you know Thor's hammer style axe, and it's gonna get people hyped. They're gonna go, oh, I see what's happening here, mm-hmm. not realizing that this movie actually created it. Right. Oh, also her younger sisters could actually be characters in the next one. Yes. Yeah, they saved them. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's true. I might like to see them try to develop some magical powers, perhaps. Because their family was the ones that had knowledge of the supernatural. Right. So the magical power true. of art. Yeah. True. And if they like constructed pretty cool like stick bundle wands, it could tie into Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunter. Oh, yes. I the am in. Yeah. Nice. There we go. Now it's in a now it's in a universe. But I think that means that Hansel and Gretel would be hunting them down because they hunt witches. I'm okay they're with that white crossover. Witches, you know, they could oh, be white maybe witches. White witches I don't know. I kind of like the you know the Civil War aspect of this. Oh, that would be so cool. Except we also have to remember in this Hansel and Gretel are from the same village they would be living in. That's true. Yes. But they but Hansel and Gretel the Witch Hunters have branched out of this you know. Mm-hmm. That's true, they do travel. They come them. back to their town finally ready to retire after years oh. of adventure. Oh, and that, oh that's so And good. that same actor who plays the Italian uh Peter Stormare. He is in uh Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters as the constable of the town. Yeah, so but he that guy stays was a, there and becomes the constable. But that guy was a piece of crap who gets killed by a troll. Yeah, but, you know, when people make progress, they don't always stick to it. Sometimes they backslide. Like like dying? Uh Wait, what? Personality-wise. he might All the character development he had to become better could have slid back. Oh, So he went back to his old tendencies of being a a slimy man. Oh, I thought you were saying the character that Peter Stormare plays in Hansel and Witch Hunters, who I believe gets... Crushed to death by a giant troll. Yeah, but yeah. based on our reckoning, this is happening kind of simultaneously to the sequel. Well, we're also recasting, so we can go in a lot of directions. It's true. I mean, unfortunately, there's at least one role in the Brothers Grimm that we'd have to recast. I'd really love to see one of the new dark forces in the sequel played by Keanu Reeves. I think he would be a great Lord of Darkness. Oh, yeah. personally. That would be amazing. There's just something about it, you know? The Baba Yaga. Oh! oh that, dude, that would actually fit so well! A gender swap actual Baba Yaga? Yeah. Yes. Oh. Not John Wick, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. Baba Yaga. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not the Baba Yaga, but the Baba Yaga. Right. Yes. Well, I'm sold. Yeah. I'm in. I'm down. Let's make it happen. All right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pushing the buttons. I'm typing it in. I'm typing it into the internet right now. And I think we're about to be millionaires. Nice. Cool. With the support of our patrons, we can surely do it. If we're believed in like those beans never were, it can be done. Yes. True. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Maybe one day we'll have a Patreon, too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, now that we've got a much better movie to keep locked into our brains, I think it's time for a little segment we like to call... Can you roleplay This is where we take the characters from this movie and figure out how they would play in a roleplaying game. Alright, I'd like to kick off one of the main characters, Angelica. I think she would be a ranger. Yes. Because she has knowledge of supernatural things. She uses a bow. Rangers have to use bows. Is that law? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's law. She's a tracker. It's true. She's a tracker. She has survival. No, skill survival. Survival. She has an affinity for animals. She mm-hmm. picks up a big toad and she speaks to it. She that's licks true. that toad too. She licks she the even shit trip. out of that toad. She's got, she must have good constitution. It's true. Yeah. yeah. These are all decks and con, you know, rangers. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sold. Yeah, yeah, and she has knowledge survival and local wisdom, you know. It's there. 
I think I like it. I'd like if if we're talking, you know, fantasy. Most of the characters we do for can you roleplay it end up being human. Uh, <laughs> I would love to see her as a half orc ranger personally. I think that'd be very cool. I'm, I like that. I think that's a much more interesting backstory. Her father, a half orc woodsman. Yeah, nice. half orc, yeah. cursed with lycanthropy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Somebody who's been pushed to the periphery because of the discrimination that they face at the hands of the ignorant locals. Yeah. And if anyone was sad, I said rangers have to use bows, the dad could have been an axe ranger. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it could have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll allow it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Wilhelm might be a charisma-based rogue. Yep, I would have to agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking rogue as well. Because of uh, his affinity with machines and building things and creating traps and things like that. Now, of course, you know I have to throw a little monkey wrench in this. And by that, I mean a magical monkey wrench. Because I think Wilhelm is actually an artificer. Ooh! He creates a lot of non-magical materials that end up having some magical properties, it seems like, or being more than they seem to be. It's Mm -hmm. true. His tricks end up being very useful. Yeah. So, and I, I, I've always been a fan of Eberron and the Artificer as a as a class. So. Yeah, that yeah, makes work. a lot of sense to me. I'm trying to think of Jacob and what he could be. I mean, I mean he's a scholar, so I, I think it's pretty obvious that he's a bard. I was thinking lore bard. You know, he yeah. keeps all the stories. He tells the stories. It's true. He's yep. a performer yep. in the bar. Yeah, he gets drunk right. and he starts trying to tell tells people. Stories. He yep. gets up on the table, starts telling. People stories. are listening too. Yeah, yeah. he's got a, a undeniable charisma. charisma. Yeah, and I. It might have just been the alcohol that let him slip up secrets. Well, what? How wise do you think Jake is? Not very. Yeah. I was thinking maybe He's not more Mary. more int yeah. than wisdom. Yeah, bards aren't wise. They're charismatic. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. He's. I guess he's not. He's not. I wouldn't say he's dumped wisdom. No, I don't think. He's so. got no. some practical sense. He's yes. just. He's not very good at knowing when to turn off the charisma. Yeah. Right. He's always on. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. That's Those heat. are the three main. Protagonist I could film. see a case for trying to stat out Cavaldi. I mean, he's clearly an NPC who ends up with like somebody's, uh, you know, friend ends up joining the campaign, and <laughs> yeah, and this NPC gets turned into a playable character. Uh, might might go with gunslinger just to add that in there. There are guns in this movie. They're mm-hmm. all flintlocks, so they're not very practical. But he has guns in multiple scenes. Also, he's a knife thrower, so that dexterity would stay in there pretty well. Could be an acrobat of some kind. Of like I, I don't know if it's implied just through the fact that he's a a, a knife thrower, or if it's just kind of a, a little head cannon that we've got here. But I like the idea of him as a former circus performer turned ah. yeah turned a uh, torturer. I think that's yeah. an interesting backstory. Right. Pretty neat. Yeah. I was also thinking that you could create recreate this world in Chronicles of Darkness. Okay, yeah, I can see that. I thought that would be pretty interesting to have, like, a communal storytelling version of it that way and have the supernatural kind of slowly unfold like it does in the movie. Maybe have the players all pick some of their favorite, or, you know, their one favorite fairy tale to have incorporated into the story. You know, I think that makes a lot more sense. I think this film might have been, like, uh, some people playing... Chronicles of Darkness for the first time, not really understanding the DM style. So Storyteller. Yeah, yeah. So when they when they wanted to see one of their fairy tales thrown in, they just threw it in when they remembered. Right. They're like, oh, Hansel and Gretel, they're there now. Oh, yeah. There's a big candy house and we get to eat it. Little it's true. Red Riding Hood. Little yeah. Red Riding Hood. Little Red Riding Hood. The wolf is Angelica's dad. <laughs> the big dad wolf. And then the bird drops the pea in the queen's mouth who oh, has God. Rapunzel's hair and is Snow White. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very weird mashup. <laughs> 
<laughs> they just put a bulk on the queen because they were running out of space. They're like, let's just have her be a shit ton of them. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I think Chronicles could be a really cool setting for yeah. it. Yeah, I like the it. The low magic. It, it is low magic. A lot of the characters in this movie, they seem, when confronted with the supernatural, they are really surprised. Mm -hmm. Like the French general guy. When, he's, when a huge gale force wind caused by the queen breathing out puts out a huge forest fire he's like sacre bleu <laughs> right he's really blown away we oui, we oui. yeah and all the soldiers run away too there's an entire yeah. french military force there and they all run in fear yeah the military is shown as being very ineffectual in this film yeah but uh the yeah, French low military. magic, low magic. I think Chronicles fits that very well. Yeah, I can see yeah. it. I'll, I'll, I'd play it. I'd play it. I'd, yeah, uh, yeah. Definitely. Well, I think that just about wraps it up here, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm never mistaken except for when I'm wrong. No, that can't be right. <laughs> That's true. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in and enjoying this week's episode of Scares and Satire. We'll be back with you next week for one more spooky tale. But until then, Hail Crom!